on episode 615 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Alan Resnick and discuss his book, The Knee and Shoulder Handbook. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 615. you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40 i'm coach allen i'm an nasm certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change performance enhancement and fitness nutrition a Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI Certified Functional Ageling Specialist, and an OTA Level 2 Online Trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM Certified Personal Trainer and a RRCA Level 1 Run Coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. It's that time of year again. We drift in with the pumpkin frappa whatevers, hit the Halloween candy hard. Then comes Thanksgiving, the Christmas parties and feasts, roll into New Year's, and we're completely off track on our health and fitness goals. It's so frustrating to watch the ground we covered during the year get completely washed away by a few indulgences during the holidays. But don't give in and don't give up. Join me for the Crush the Holidays Challenge at 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. This 35-day challenge runs from November 20th through December 24th. You'll have the accountability, support, and guidance you need to stay on plan and not lose ground like you may have in the past. You'll get daily support from me and be surrounded by like-minded people in our private Facebook group. There will be plenty of fun challenges and games to get and keep you moving forward on your health and fitness goals. Don't let the holidays derail you. Crush the holidays with the Crush the Holidays Challenge at 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. Hey, Raz, how are you? Good. How are you today, Alan? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're we're starting to get into the fall, which means that mm. the weather's just the same as it was in the summer. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we get like 30, 40 degree fluctuations up here. I think we're back up in the 60s and we're about to um shoot right back down to the 30s. So yep. We <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like a roller coaster. <laughs> and then it'll be winter. <laughs> yeah, it'll be winter. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, oh you know, my goodness. Um, that sounds lovely though. But I guess some people have to live up there. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we can't we can't all live in Panama. It's a small country. No, that's um, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, well, goodness. are you ready to talk about knees and shoulders? Sure. All right, let's go do this. Our guest today is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon specializing in arthroscopic surgery and sports medicine. For more than two decades, he has been awarded the title of Top Doc in Connecticut Magazine and recognized as one of America's top physicians by the Consumers Research Council of America. He has served as team physician for the U.S. Tennis Open and the New Haven Knights professional hockey team. 
He's widely published with over 60 journal articles. He's also the author of I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up, A Guide to Fall, Risk, and Prevention. He holds a number of orthopedic patents, and his personal mission is to help patients and readers better understand their health and share the knowledge and tools to actively participate in healing their problem joints and achieve the best results possible. With no further ado, here's Dr. Alan Resnick. Dr. Resnick, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I've always been generally fascinated with the knee and the shoulder. And, and it's because, as, you know, growing up as an athlete, uh, I saw a lot of it. You know, you, you mess up your shoulder, you mess up your knee, you mess up, you know. But those were the ones, the big ones. You know, someone's going to be out of a sport. Uh, it's a dislocated shoulder. It's a, you know, torn uh, meniscus or torn ACL. You know, all these things are happening around us when we're, we're playing sports. And then it comes back around. 25 years later, when you're in your late 40s and 50s, where, you know, such and such has got a, a bad knee or they tear, like I did, tear a rotator cuff. Um, so this was kind of a fascinating book. Uh, and what I like what you did, and it was it was actually brilliant, and I want to do more of that today, is uh, you talked about how someone will come in and you'll start talking about a procedure that they need. And they kind of get that glazed over look in their eyes. And you know, you're the Charlie Brown teacher going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and they're not yeah, picking up that analogy. It's yeah, so true. They're, they're yeah. not picking up a bit of what you're saying. So the book and, and, you know, what you did before, but this book now is a tool that we can have to basically say, when we're talking to our doctor about a particular thing, I can go to this and at least have a better understanding because sitting in their office after they first tell you, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to grab this here and stitch that to that and anchor that there and do this. Um, it is hard. It is hard. I was, I was, fortunately I was a personal trainer, uh, and, and kind of understood some of the uh, anatomy stuff. So when I was talking to my orthopedic surgeon, um, I was geeking out on it, but I know that's, that's not what you get on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's not what most people that are listening to this podcast, they're going to hear something and it's going to shock them. And then for them to basically be able to absorb, okay, what exactly is this? What's the recovery time? And what am I, and what does this mean to me? I think you put that together in a very non-wah-wah way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, the, the book is, um, just to keep, you know, give you a background a little bit, uh, what I found was people were having a hard time understanding the complicated ideas. And, and most people could hear the simple ideas, but if I asked them to say it back, they couldn't repeat it back. So I started to write little booklets for my patients on each diagnosis. It started years ago. And every year I would work on them. And then if I, I would have a new employee, I would say, okay, let's go, let's, you know, have the new employee read them again and say, listen, do you understand this? And they pick up and go, Dr. Resnick, this whole page is gobbledygook. You have to fix it. Um, and <laughs> that's then, hard as a new employee. You're trying to tell your boss, hey, boss, this sucks. No, but, uh... <laughs> I actually invited it. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, in the operating room, and we had this happen in the academy because I was on the patient safety committee years ago. And I know we're going to go off a little bit of a tiny tangent for a half a second. But, you know, they asked a bunch of people on this committee, how many people in the room could raise their hand and say that the people in the room will tell you when something's going awry and, and be able to help you. And I raised my hand immediately and I went, absolutely. Because I try to keep the environment in the OR like the environment in the office. Like there's no such thing as a stupid question. There's no such thing as something that you think I should know that I, maybe I do know, maybe I don't know, but if you say yeah. it, I'm not gonna get mad. 
So um, to have that sense of the environment around you that when things are going awry in the OR, you want everyone to be cool, calm, and collective, and you want all the people to add their experience to save the day. You know, and yeah. I did love one trauma for many years, and you know, you had people bleeding to death, and the shit would hit the fan, and you know, it would be horrible. It'd be like mash. It really was like that. Um, and if everyone in the room wasn't focused, and everyone's afraid you're going to get mad if you, they made a good suggestion, um, you know, that would be a problem. I have a, have a funny rule: like if the if the nurse hands you something but you didn't ask for it, try to figure out why she wants you to use it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, because when you're in trouble, sometimes you, you know you need you need everyone rowing in the same direction. So I, I see that in the office as well. I want my patients to be rowing in the same direction I am, and to get them to row in the same direction, I find that they often lack the basic understanding of the problem to understand why I want them to do something. And when that happens, they're less likely to follow the instructions. Yeah. So by creating these booklets and little handouts and little things I've done and little funny sayings that I tell the patients. Along the way, it's just my effort to try to get them to be on the same team with me um, as I try to help them, because then it goes much easier. And as like to your point, you know, you said, you know, people come in, they have these ideas, they think they want this, they think they want that. So many people have a story they want to tell you about some other horrific thing that happened to someone they know or that happened to them. Yeah. And one of my wisest teachers when I was in medical school said to me, it's a fair question to ask a patient, why are you asking that? And you're often surprised by what they say. And they'll say something like, oh, my Uncle Benny had that problem. And his shoulder hurt the same way I did, mine did. And by the time they finished with him, he couldn't do anything anymore. And then you start to feel through the whole situation. Yeah, Uncle Benny really had something else. They, Uncle Benny had a sarcoma, you know, or something. Yeah. And they're scared to death because Uncle Benny had a tumor. And all they want you to tell them is they don't have a tumor. They could care less that they can't pitch anymore. So um, it's often a surprise that, you know, sometimes we place assumptions on patients about what they really want. But unless you take a minute or two to listen to them, you don't always know what they're asking. And yeah. so sometimes, like I said, it's a fair question to say, why, you know, why are you asking that? And then they tell you. And then when they tell you, sometimes have a good sense of the answer that they're looking for, at least to help them along. And then hopefully figure out their real problem with their shoulder and then get them to the next step. So that that is a hard thing to do in the office. Yeah. And so in trying to get a, a patient to row the same way, uh, which I love that analogy, because I think a lot of us, um, you know, of course, we've got Dr. Google, which makes us uberly intelligent. Yes. <laughs> it gives you googly eyes, too. Yes. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we want the shot, we want the, we want the pill, we want the script, we want the, th you know, we go in there kind of with some expectations and, you know, it's not always the patient's fault. I think the medical establishment in some cases has kind of set the same criteria. I'm going to give you seven minutes. Tell me what you want. Um, and so the patient comes in and says, well, I know my uncle got this cortisone shot in his knee and he, he said he felt great. I want a cortisone shot because I'm in pain. Can we talk about yeah. what that what that injection is yeah, about? So, so, yeah, yeah. So so there's there's like I can unpeel this in a couple of different ways. But I'll try to try to stick to the the basic basic ideas, right? So cortisone is a fantastic anti-inflammatory and extremely good locally acting. So if the primary problem for your pain is inflammation from something, it could be anything. It could be a torn cartilage. It could be torn meniscus. It could be instability. It could be a kneecap that's dislocating, or it could be a host of other things like Lyme disease and rheumatoid arthritis. And you can go on and on and on. I know we don't have that giant time to discuss. That could be another show. It's all in the book, but it is all in it's the all, book. <laughs> it is in the book. But at the end of the day, you have to dissect out what am I treating and why am I treating it? So 
Um, going back to two pieces of that, you know, some patients, they have a tournament this weekend and you're treating them because they want to give a shot so they could play better this weekend because they know their knee is painful and they want to have the weekend to do it. And when I was a young physician, I'd get some guy who's 70 or 80 years old wearing two braces and limping and come in and say, doc, you got to give me a shot. And I'd say to them, you're crazy. Why are you still playing tennis? You're going to hurt yourself. And then as I got older, I started to have a better appreciation for the aches and pains of life. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, I'll have a patient who's 80 years old, has got his arm taped up and his elbow taped and two braces on. And, you know, they hurt themselves and they have a tournament this weekend. And I'm almost like, where do you want the shot this week? <laughs> you know, which is not, I wouldn't say that's the generally right answer, but but if it is the right answer for them for their acute yeah. inflammation and it has the best choice at the moment, I am happy to give it to them to restore their quality of life. So if we're giving the shot because there isn't a lot of choices, the patient isn't going to go for a surgical option, they know it's going to last six months at best to a year, and we know that the end game might be a knee replacement at some point, um, then it's not unreasonable to do it a couple of times. I have a hard rule. I don't like to do it more than twice a year. If you're doing it three times a year, then I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm not really treating the problem. So that's a rule of thumb for me. Uh, the other rule of thumb is, is I never say yes to someone who just says, hey, doc, just give me the shot. I say, no, no, <laughs> tell me what's wrong. Let me examine you. Let's get an x-ray. Let's make sure it isn't Uncle Benny's tumor first, because I'm not getting yeah. an injection into a tumor. Um, and let's do all the things we have to medically to kind of piece together what's really wrong. And then I can counsel you whether the shot is the right idea for you. Um, I think you're into this a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll take a little sidestep onto glucosamine and chondroitin, because that's something people ask about all the time, yeah. various supplements. And I have a little rule of thumb. I was actually talking to a, a well-known sports person years ago, um, who's at Harvard, and she's she's a delight. She's fantastic. And um, she said something very clever to me, and it stuck with me, and I think she's right, in that she said, you know, if you use these things and you do it for a month and then stop for a week and you're looking for the bottle, there's a good chance it's helping you. If you stop for a week and you don't miss it, and you're not looking for the bottle, there's a good chance it made no difference. So some people are on glucosamine or food supplements for years and years. And if you ask them the question, do you know if it's helping you? And they don't know, they have no idea. And I said, how's about stopping for a week and see if you're looking for the bottle? And a lot of people are stop for a week, doc, you know, I don't feel any different. I wasn't even looking for the bottle. You know, okay, it's not working for you. And there are some studies that show that glucosamine in some settings in Europe, there was a big study of 600 patients that showed it's, it's just as good as Celebrex as an, you know, and helping people feel better for bad knees and some bad joint issues. And then we do give it to our dogs and horses with some success. So I do think there are people who are responders, if you will, who will take glucosamine and have fantastic result. And I think there are plenty of people who are non-responders. So the acid test of taking it for a month and then stopping and seeing how you're doing Without doing other interventions, obviously, if you do yeah. six things at once, you never know, right? I give someone a shot of cortisone, then they take the glucosamine. They said the glucosamine worked, you know. <laughs> and you know, you're taking the anti-inflammatory and I gave you a shot. Um, not sure the glucosamine was the number one thing. Well, on they the got list. that. They got that for thirty dollars at Costco. So you know that was <laughs> right, right. A little bit less than the copay, maybe. Yeah. You know. Um, so. So, you know, so if you do it in isolation, you can piece out whether or not it's working for you. But I tell people, listen, if you know it's not making a difference, don't continue. There's no reason to do that. Um, and there's some caution in diabetics. They don't really want them taking glucosamine because it has some sugars in it. And diabetics could be taking a lot of glucosamine, not realize it could be throwing their sugars off. So there's some cautions there. Um, so there's nothing is as straightforward as people like to think. A lot of food supplements have other issues and then you yeah. have to be a little careful. 
Now, collagen is one that's been very interesting to me. Uh, if I take it, basically my fingernails and my, you know, I would say hair grow, but it's not the hair that you would be looking at right now, but my fingernails grow like crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's odd because to me, collagen is, is basically three um, amino acids, um, right. but you get those amino acids from other whole foods. Uh, sure. So is collagen really something that's necessary if you're already eating a, a decent amount of protein or did, what's what's there? Yeah, I always think about chicken soup because <laughs> traditional chicken soup, you boil the bones and everything in the in the pot and the collagen and, and all the different parts get boiled and digested and into the soup. And chicken soup is so good for you, right? As, as, yeah. as they always say. So I do think um, and this is very hard, you know, nutrition is a tricky, tricky subject because. The natural tendency is to look at the RDA, right? The minimum daily requirements. And the minimum daily requirements isn't the optimal amount for health. And people get confused about, well, I took the minimum amount of this, I should be fine. Well, we don't know, number one, if you're absorbing it completely. And number two, we don't know if that's really the ideal amount. We just know it's the minimum amount. And then saying, oh, it just took five times the minimum, that's good. Well, we don't know that either. That might be equally bad. We just don't know. Yeah. So it's tricky. I think people do have focal deficits in things that they don't appreciate. Um, it's hard to get collagen in a very sterile diet. If you're eating pasta with cheese and you're using tomato sauce, there's really little collagen in that, right? Um, you know, if you're if you're trying to avoid the red meats and and the fat and the sinew of those things, you're not getting that kind of stuff either. Uh, but that might be a healthier diet for your heart. So it is a little tricky to know in each individual what they're getting, what they need. There are, and this is a well-known mis misconceived notion, there are plenty of people overweight that are malnourished. Yeah. You know, it, being overweight does not mean you're well-nourished. And, and conversely, the risks of surgery when you're overweight are equally as bad if you're grossly underweight too. So you have people with BMI under 18 or 18 and under have the same risk of complications of surgery with people with BMIs over 30 and 40. And that's also poorly understood, but I think the people with BMIs 18 are generally pretty malnourished. They don't know it. They don't make protein every day. So, you know, I do encourage my patients post-op if they have a fracture to take calcium, vitamin D and vitamin C, because those are three minimal requirements. And plus eat, you know, try to eat a good diet with extra protein in it. So, you know, I don't know if I really answered that question completely, yeah. but I think- I'm Well, you did, you did. It, it helped, it helped. Because you know? again, and I think maybe this is another one of those things. You, you try it for a month, then you go yeah. off of it and you kind of see if that if that changes the thing. It's a you know it's an experiment n equals one and uh, right. we all are bio individuals. So you know for some person it might work and the next person eh, maybe not so much so. But yeah, I think the bio individual idea that's a great way of saying it. You know, th there's a big push in AI. I just went to a conference last week and this I don't want to get into this topic completely, but just quickly mention it. But we talk a lot about personalized medicine, knowing your genome ultimately, and then trying to figure out what you really need based on your genes more than anything else. And that's a huge project. We're not there yet, but the holy grail of it is I'm going to take a swab from your cheek, put it through a DNA analyzer and tell you when you're going to get hypertension, which medication is best for you, um, or what your weight range should be to avoid getting hypertension even better, you know, or you're, you're someone who really doesn't absorb vitamin D very well and you need extra D in your diet. And and all that is possible in the future. It's 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 going to come. It may take twenty years, but it's going to come uh, as the techniques get better and better. So, 
individual medicine, we're all individuals, we all do things internally slightly differently, yet we're all the same. It's amazing how we all have five fingers and five toes and a nose and two ears and two eyes. That's amazing. But at the same time, there are little tiny things that are different enough that we can't say that any one medication is perfect for all individuals. Yeah. And conversely, the opposite, right? And that's what's kind of striking about all this is, you know, they spent $3 billion to basically tie down the genome, the human de- genome. And now mm-hmm. with AI, um, in a matter of uh, a fraction of the time, uh, they're going to be able to tell you so much more about yourself. And so it's, it's, it is kind of fascinating, that technology, the way it's taking off. Uh, so I am looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's now, really another another crutch, if you will, <laughs> um, is is the knee brace. I see a, a lot of folks will sit there and they, you know, they they initially maybe there's an injury or something acute or maybe there's not, but they put a knee brace on and they feel more stable. They feel more in control. Uh, their knee doesn't hurt as much. And so as a result, now, every time they come to the gym, uh, they're wearing the same knee brace. Um, yeah. And, you know, of course, I'm a personal trainer and I look at the human body and I say, well, if you don't put the human body under some stress, uh, it will get weaker, not stronger. Right. And so you do have to find that that appropriate hormetic effect stress uh, mm-hmm. so things can improve. Uh, but is that the case with knee braces? Is that just something we should yeah, self, you're self-medicate? Asking such a fantastic question because there's, again, like a lot of the questions, and again, with, with my patients, there are so many layers of answers, right? So, so you kind of start with the gross answer, like, is your knee really unstable, right? So you can check the ligaments. You can say, oh, the MCL, the ACL, the LCL, the posterior cruciate ligament, they're all working perfectly. So is the brace creating stability vis-a-vis the ligaments? And the answer would be no, right? Is the kneecap coming out of place? Well, if the kneecap is coming out of place, there are braces that help keep the kneecap in. Well, that would be an answer for a specific question. Again, very personalized, getting back to personalized medicine. Yeah. Um, Other people have issues that, you know, they have a little tiny bit of arthritis, maybe they have an inflammatory process, their knee is sore all the time a little bit, and they get stiff after the soreness. But if they put a compressive brace on of some type that's neoprene foam, it makes the knee warmer. And just like hot yoga, you know, if the knee is slightly warmer, even a degree or two warmer, it'll be a little more flexible. It'll feel a little better. So some people, it's a thermal effect. You know, you have some kind of brace that keeps the knee warmer and they feel better. Other people, it's a mechanical issue. And there's a third group of people, which, which, um, and aside from the injuries, we can talk about injuries in another separate, but third group of people where the brace itself serves as a, as a funny reminder, almost like tying that ring ribbon around your finger, right? So if they know that they get into certain ranges and they have knee pain because their kneecap is worn on the superior pole, the inferior pole, or or the lateral edge of the kneecap is worn or whatever, and there's a certain range that gets them into trouble, and they put that brace on that inhibits them slightly, they don't get into trouble, right? So that would be another way of using the brace to stop that motion that gets into trouble or remind them not to go there. And then that may be a benefit in and of itself because they can exercise and feel comfortable exercise, but they're not going to go to a place that's going to hurt them. And the last little piece of that is proprioception. And I'm sure you're familiar with the concept where, you know, you can yeah. close your eyes and touch your nose, you know, just do that. And you know where your nose is, you know where your finger is very well. Um, you know where your knee is pretty well. But sometimes as we get a little older, maybe your reaction time's a little slower. Maybe your ability to really tell where your knee is. Maybe you're losing proprioception because you got a little spinal cord issue. And there's a, there's a herniated disc that gives you a little trouble. And you don't really realize it's affecting proprioception more than anything. And you put the braces on and you feel your knees moving. 
And you have a better sense of where they are in space and you feel more comfortable doing whatever you're going to do because you know better where your knees are. That's a very complicated idea for a lot of people, but the GPS thing kind of brings it home. Like I close my eyes, I know where my knees are. Now, if you tear your ACL, your ACL has stretch fibers in it. Some people lose the proprioception in their knee when they tear their ACL and they feel gorky and uneven, even when you reconstruct it. And we talk about that after reconstruction for another year, people have apprehension when they play. Yeah. And there's actually a re-injury rate of that knee and the contralateral knee, the other knee, when you don't know where your knee is in space and you make a funny move. And there's some data saying now, like if I brace you, even though you don't need it and your ACL is good and the stability is good and the reconstruction went well and your meniscus is healed and I use a brace for that next year, return to sport. It's not really protecting the ACL so much. It's giving me that little extra confidence and a little better proprioception so I don't hurt the other knee or re-hurt this one. And for some people, that is golden. That that makes all the difference in the world. They're not as tentative. You know, I have so many stories of people who cut to the right, cut to the right, cut to the right, have a right ACL. Next year, they come back, they go to full-out sports, and a year later, they come back with the left one, the same exact injury, doing the same maneuver the other direction. You know? Yeah. So um, they, you know, it, there is some value in that that little bit of extra security that the brace might give you, even though scientifically it doesn't really react fast enough to really protect the knee in the way you think it might, but it may have other benefits we really can't measure. But yeah, but I would still recommend before you just start throwing on a brace, have a conversation with a physical therapist, have a conversation with a orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Find out why you might need it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and if it's a good idea or not. And, and, and I think there is that, that idea that the brace is sort of a semi crutch and that you don't strengthen as well because you're using the brace and somehow that's going to weaken your leg. But I think that's the chicken and egg problem, right? There's something wrong with the knee and you're not firing quads fully anyway, because your knee hurts a little bit, put the brace on, you feel a little better. doesn't mean the problem that makes you not fire your quads and make your quads stronger goes away yeah well right? i totally yeah. agree i totally agree with that. Yeah. i just i see people wearing braces and and i don't mean for just a few weeks or a few months i mean every single day for years just they come into yeah. the gym they're wearing a brace and i'm like okay you know if i if i heard that long i'd, I'd be talking to a doctor or a physical yeah. therapist i <laughs> i wouldn't self-medicate effectively that yeah, long. i think i think if you're wearing a brace for a year and you don't know what's what what's what and why it is and you find that you absolutely need it and you can't do anything without it then you should get evaluated and find out that there isn't something simple that they can be done that will make you brace independent yeah. uh more quickly yeah that, that makes total sense to me now uh, i had a i had a a boss and he he went in for a knee replacement. I've had my best friend when one of my best friends went in for a knee replacement. He's in his recovery period now. And uh, you know, the science that I guess the kind of knowing how all this works, it's it's where I, I would say uh most orthopedic surgeons kind of become uh carpenters, if you will. Um <laughs> so it's a uh, it's kind of fascinating to me uh to understand it. We could we could take uh basically a partial or full artificial joint and replace the joint uh and it'll function fine as long as the materials hold out uh can we talk a little bit about knee replacement when it's the right thing to do and and considerations as we get into it yeah and like everything we do when we ever we do a, any kind of intervention like that and knee replacement is a big intervention right we're moving the ligaments we're opening the kneecap up we're taking the surfaces off we're putting a metal and plastic surface on it's a bigger surgery than arthroscopy, right? Like repairing the meniscus, much bigger surgery than that. 
um, and technically demanding. It has to be done right. You know, I have people say to me, well, I really want that particular knee and I want this guy to do it. And it turns out that guy does a different knee. And my answer to that, and I, I hear people say this all the time, probably a lot of listeners are thinking, I'm going to find the best replacement. I'm going to have the best guy do the best one. I figure out what it is. And the answer is that's the wrong answer because you really now, want I, the guy to do it. I got I to I I tell you this, this story you okay. just brought up. Okay, when you say the right knee, this is not the right or the left knee. Um, right, 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 right. It's but, the correct one. <laughs> the correct yeah. one. Uh, you know, yeah, the right no. the right type of replacement knee. Replacement, yes. Yeah, yes, this is so funny because my, my wife went in and she was getting cortisone shots in both of her knees. And the doctor was, was a great doctor. And uh, this was a Cleveland clinic down here in Panama. And what he did was he said, okay, well, he's going to give him the, give it a shot. He went to give her the shot in the, in the right knee. And it was the shot itself was quite painful. So okay. she's squeezing my hand and she's, oh, oh, he says, okay, okay. He says, I'm a left knee expert. So this next one won't hurt nearly as much. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And he was right. He was absolutely right. She took the left knee and said, you're absolutely right. You're a left knee specialist. It wasn't until we left the office that I explained to her that was a joke. Um, but... Yeah. <laughs> Bravo. You're right. It was a joke. Yeah. We, we, uh, there's all these silly jokes that go along with that, which are terrible. Like, you know why the lady cut the left side of her body off? I do not. Because she's always right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, right. so so we're talking, we're talking right. about the Sorry. right type of replacement joint for the right type of surge for the surgeon that's specialized yeah, correct, in that particular one. thing. Well, you know, yeah. People read all these things. I want this joint, I want the custom one, I want the one where they do the MRI and they make it exactly to my body. At the end of the day, you want the one that the surgeon is using is most comfortable with because each one, no matter who makes it, no matter what the materials are, no matter who the manufacturer is, every single one of those knees have nuances that are unique to those knees. Every single individual has nuances. And you want the person who's done, you know, thousands of knees with this prosthesis. So he knows every trick in the book to get that thing in perfectly, to give him the challenge of giving him knee set and equipment that he's not used to is putting your, him in a disadvantage and then ultimately you're at a disadvantage. So the materials are so good, the techniques are so good, the, the things that are good and bad about the Ptolemies is so well known that by and large, there are subtle differences in the different you know, knees that are being made, but most of them are really fantastic, really fantastic. You know? And you know, if you get the differences are small enough that the, the technical part of it is much more important. You know, ultimately, because you can have the custom made one where they do the CT scan MRI, and the person, the bones aren't registered with the computer perfectly, and the thing goes in perfectly wrong by a few millimeters. And that's enough to make it not great yeah, or less suboptimal. So if the guy who's doing it doesn't get it in exactly the way it's supposed to be, uh, then all bets are off. And you want to give him all the tools he needs to do it the most comfortable way he can to make sure that it goes in perfectly for you. So, so my rule of thumb for that is you, if you pick a surgeon and you like him and you met him and you think he's a great guy and you think he's got the chops and he's got recommendations out the wazoo and you've seen other people with good results, let him do the one he wants to do for you because he's going to pick the one that's best for you because he doesn't, why would he pick anything else, right? You know, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense not to pick the one that's going to be best for you. You know, someone right. said to me once, well, would you do this uh, for your mother? And you know, I ask, well, do you know if I like my mother? First of all, you know, you never <laughs> ask that question. But 
I have to love my mother. She's fantastic. She's 86 years old, still works full time. She's the most amazing person on earth. It's incredible. But um, I do make that little joke because, you know, people ask that question. The reality is, is why would I ever do something I wouldn't do for a family member? You know, I'm yeah. here. I'm here with a skill set. I have some expertise. I may not be right all the time. I may make technical errors. I'm not perfect. I do the best I can for every one of my patients, but I'm not going to decide to do something that would be wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, on the get-go. It just doesn't make sense to me. And if, if there's something that's a marginal call, I'll have that discussion with you. You know, look, this is a marginal call. You can go this way or that way. No one can tell you 100% the right answer. These are the pros and cons. We have to make this decision together. Shared decision-making is the common buzzword, right? Yeah. Um, but that's harder to do than just say, hey, you need this. I'm going to do it. You'll be fine. Mm, that's not really how it works. You know, it's not, it's not really like that in the real world. Yeah. So, you're, you know, the way I look at it is you're, you're the head coach of your own health. <laughs> and then you, you have these assistant coaches. And one of your assistant coaches is, is your doctor, your surgeon. And your assistant coach is going to say, I think we should run this play. This is the best mm -hmm. play. But alternatively, this is, this is the next best play. Then you have to make the decision what's going to make the most sense for you. You don't just fire your offensive coordinator because they told you something you didn't like to hear. Um, you just yeah, you, you listen right. to what that they does say. happen a lot. Yeah, it does happen a lot. I get fired once in a blue moon because someone I tell someone the truth and they don't want they don't want to hear it. They want something. They have a fantasy about something that might work for them that I know won't. Yeah, and and you know I just like look I you know I know you can do that and you know just because it looks like a hammer it's not a nail you know I know you can do that but. To get back to the total knee question, so how do you decide? And and this is this is always the um, you know sort of a spectrum of things. If you have young people, you know, and in forty is still young, you know, 40, 50 years old even, and even sixty nowadays we consider young. The older I get, the younger that seems, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that that cartilage preservation and preserving the knee and doing things to to get the knee mechanically better uh, can preserve the knee and buy time. And at the end of the day, if that will work very well and get rid of the majority of your pain and make you very functional and buy you three, five years, 10 years of time, it's probably worth considering because a total need is not, is not alive. I think I mentioned this in the little pre-discussion we had that, you know, knee replacements are put in and they're metal parts, right? And there's a plastic liner. And just like tires in your car, they got a mileage on them. You know, a certain number of miles, they go, you know, that's it. So if you're Mario Andretti or one of the, you know, one of the fast drivers on the road and the in the race car drivers, the drag strip, everything like that, you know those tires got to be changed every 200 miles. If you drive like my grandmother, you know, it's yeah. going to last you forever. But most people have very high expectations once they have the knee replaced. And if they drive it too hard, it's not going to last them. And revision surgery is more complicated, right? So, um, but the modern knee replacement, you get with, with casual good use, not crazy use, probably 20, 25 years is very possible. So, um, you know, if you're 65 and you get 20, 25 years, you're talking 80s and 90s, most people will be very happy with that. But if you're 45, you get 25 years, you're 65, you're looking at a revision, maybe that's not so great. So there's yeah. a kind of a window in the middle where we try to do things to buy time. And some of those don't work. I mean, if we're asking biology to heal something and Northern Nature says, sorry, I'm not going to do it, I can stand on my head, repair the meniscus, sew it together, do all these things. And your body decides, I'm just not going to heal it. Um, or you don't follow the post-op instructions, either one of those two things. Um, I can't help that, right? But yeah. if it works, it could be a home run. So, um, 
you know, we're always deciding that. And then again, that's a personal decision with the patient. But someone comes into my office and their x-ray looks normal. I say my knee hurts and and I want my knee replaced. I'm going to examine their hip and their lower back because, you know, referred pain is a problem. So some yeah. people, go, my knee is killing me, my knee is killing me, my knee is killing me. And you try to rotate their hip and their hip doesn't move at all. And that's the most common thing that's missed. And they have advanced arthritis of their hip. You take an x-ray of their hip and the hip is shot. And the knee x-ray is perfectly normal. But the internal map of where the nerve pain fibers are is off. You can't see the inside of your knee. You can't see the inside of your hip, but it's the same bone, right? It's the femurs. Yeah. The bone is connected to the hip bone. We know the song, right? It's really true. Um, and when you see that, uh, you need your hip replaced and your knee pain will go away. And people are in total disbelief. And I had one patient who broke his hip, actually, and was so convinced of his knee. He was so adamant of his knee. They never checked his hip in the emergency room. And he had a small fracture that was slightly displaced, but his hip was not useful. He couldn't walk at all. His wife and his daughter were nurses. They took him home, took care of him for three days. He came into my office on a stretcher, could not walk. I examined the first thing he did is check his hip because his knee looked normal and took an x-ray and he had a fractured hip. We brought him back to the hospital, fixed his hip. His knee pain went away. To this day, he still doesn't believe me that it was his hip. You know, I mean, it, it's, well, you did put amazing. him under. You did put him under for the surgery, so he doesn't know what you did. Um. Right, exactly. So, so, um, but it's but it's interesting. His map was so strong, I could not convince him otherwise. And it yeah. didn't matter what, and he convinced everyone in the emergency room it was his knee. And you know, no fault of theirs, they really didn't understand. But you know, they let him go, unable to ambulate, and didn't go to the next level. So, I think that people underestimate uh, referred pain frequently. And they they overestimate uh, the uses of knee replacements in certain settings. So, like if the knee looks normal and there's nothing on X-ray, and you know you're not getting your knee replaced for for knee pain, you got to figure out why your knee hurts, and and there are other reasons. So, I think that's also a caution to the wise. Um, yeah. Now, about about four years ago, I had a client, and uh, it was the first time I'd ever heard of this in my entire life, and so I was just kind of kind of lost when he first started telling me this, but he he came up with a frozen shoulder. And so now I'm, you know, unfortunately I'm, I'm looking on Dr. Google to try to figure out, okay, <laughs> what's going on with my client. And, and the reality was uh, there was, I mean, there was zero I could do uh, for this particular client because it was, that was way outside of my, uh, yeah. my scope of, of anything. And, and I, so I wasn't able to help him. He did, he did get some work uh, done and was able to recover some mobility to his shoulder, but, um, this is, this is actually a lot more common than I thought it was. Um, after reading your book, I, I was fascinated as I kind of went through that chapter. Uh, because again, the, I thought, you know, as I got into it, I'm like, well, I had a torn rotator cuff. That's probably what I'm going to want to talk about. Cause it, it happens to almost all of us at some point, but I just feel like man, this is just something no one ever talks about, but it happens. And when it happens, it's it's quite devastating. So can you talk a little bit about frozen shoulder, what it is, and kind of the approaches that you're going to take to recover from it? Yeah, frozen shoulder is 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 interesting on on um on the initial level is that your body has decided in in just in microscopic terms that the lining um needs to be tighter, if you will. For whatever reason, your body thinks that the, the fibroblasts that hold all the lining cells start to fire up and create scar tissue, and they start to do this. They start to shrink. And as they shrink, the ability to rotate the shoulder and the ability to move it starts to decrease, and the endpoints become painful. So what happens is you self-reduce your range 
because the endpoints are painful and slowly insidiously over time, which means, you know, so slowly it's like watching a pot boil. You don't really know what's happening until it boils over, right? You, you This pot is boiling very slowly. And as it goes on and on, you get less and less range of motion. And so sometimes people show all of a sudden I got a frozen shoulder. No, really, it's been happening for four or five months. You've been progressively getting worse. Just today you realized you can't get your shirt on anymore because it's gotten so bad. Interestingly, women notice it quicker than men because women notice when they can't do their bra strap and men notice when they can't get their wallet out of their back pocket, which is a big difference in internal rotation, right? There's a yeah. lot more internal rotation required to get your bra off than to get into your back yeah, pocket. I've never, I've never taken a bra off, so I can't. Right. There you go. <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah, having not doing myself either. So, but, but I understand it because my patients yeah. tell me immediately that that's the first thing they complain about. Night pain is very common as well. But the ability, functional range starts to decrease. Yeah. And so the frozen shoulder usually starts out, sometimes it's a minor injury um, of some type that inflames the cells and then the body overreacts and then it starts to freeze up on you. Now, some frozen shoulders have a, a natural course. Some people get a frozen shoulder, it gets inflamed, it freezes up, and then slowly over a one or two year period, it thaws out by itself. But most people can't wait that long. So we try we try to intervene. If you can get in the early stages, um, cortisone shot, anti-inflammatory and stretching programs can slowly stretch it back out and bring it back out. In the really bad recalcitrant cases where people are just so limited, sometimes we end up manipulating them under anesthesia and, and removing the adhesions and getting them moving that way and then do aggressive therapy after that. The other side thing about frozen shoulder, which people underestimate, is that some diabetics are much more prone to getting it. Their fibroblasts don't behave as well. And there are a few patients in my practice where they've presented with a frozen shoulder and turned out had diabetes and didn't know it. So that's always a little caution, a doctor caution, a little red flag. Someone comes in with a frozen shoulder, doesn't seem like they did anything that would have caused it. Um, you know, you should think about the blood sugars a little bit. Um, yeah. But the more common is 40 to 50 to 60-year-old females are more common and diabetics are more common than non-diabetics. And that's what I thought was so fascinating about it is that that tie in to diabetes, it's like, you know, if you're diabetic, this isn't just one of, kind of another one of those reasons to try to start managing your nutrition and your blood sugars better, yeah. so you can address that. You're pre-diabetic or diabetic, start working on that because this is just another complication that might be waiting for you down the line. I, I know from, you know, with my client, he was just so um, depressed, if you will. I don't know there was clinical depression, but he was just so upset that he had like lost his arm, you know, and mm -hmm. he just felt helpless. And so I, I just say, if you, or if you notice your shoulder range of motion start, like you said, endpoint to endpoint starting to get a little sore, you know, check your A1C, talk to your doctor um, yeah. and start addressing it from both sides. Yeah. If that, if that is a risk factor for you, for sure. You know, some people don't really know, but they have the risk factors already and then, or they have a family history of it already. Those people should be more aware of it uh, as a as a possible sign that there is that going on. It's it's not the chicken and egg that everyone thinks it might be, but it, but it happens enough that it's worth thinking about it. Yeah. Now I love love love, <laughs> and I said it three times on purpose that you you got in after this. We start talking about okay, let's let's not have these problems in the first place. By introducing balance, balance, and balance. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and some basic things we can do, the blocking and tackling, if you will, of life that we can do so that we're dealing with fewer of these complications as we get older? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think that what people underestimate and, and the easiest thing to understand if you've ever tried to throw a ball on ice, you know, or 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 imagine that, you know, you're on a slippery surface and you're trying to catch yourself and your feet go out from under you, you have to recognize that you're the ground forces propel everything in your body. So if you if your feet touch the ground, the force from that area goes up through your entire body through your hands. So any sport, any throwing sport, any catching sport, any running sport, the ability to put force from the mid body down to the ground is key. And, and I would say even beyond people, sport, I just stop you for a second. I'm sorry. Yeah. Picking up a grocery bag. Yes, absolutely. You know, just yeah, just reaching that. down and picking up a grocery bag, reaching over to grab a cantaloupe off the shelf. Um, yep. you know. Walking yeah, so, to the walking from washing dishes and turning and putting something into the dishwasher, those are the same yeah. force couples that you're dealing with in sports. We're dealing with in everyday life. So this is not Absolutely. just an athlete thing. This is yeah. this is a living thing. Yeah, if the dog's toy is in your way and you step on it, you know, if you don't have balance, you're going to go down. Yeah. So so the understanding of of you know quads and hamstring strength to balance your knee, obviously, you know Achilles tendon and your foot and your toes and your ability to feel the ground. You know, we, we we talk about kids wearing shoes, you know, the, the little you know toddlers wearing shoes. And, and I always try to get parents to say, look, let the kid go as barefoot as they can or with the socks with a little rubber on the bottom and try to keep them out of shoes when they're alone because they need to feel the floor to get a sense of balance. If they don't feel the floor, they don't have the same sense of balance or control that if they feel the floor. Of course, you don't want your kid walking around glass on the ground, you know, obviously they're safe environment, yeah. but in a safe environment to have the shoes off and little kids, it's really great. Because you're teaching them balance that's going to be good for later in life. It's right? great for older people too. I'm I'm barefoot yeah. right now, so just <laughs> yeah, it's great for everyone to feel the ground every once in a while. It's really good. Um, so yeah, so get back to what you said. I mean, absolutely true. If if your hips are weak and you don't have, and I I have plenty of patients come in who could do leg press of 250 pounds. I stand them on one leg and ask them to do a one legged squat, and they fall over because they have the small muscles of their hip. They have never exercised. The balance muscles of your torso and the balance, you know, coordination of your arm movements and everything else, they've never really tested. They're in machines all the time and they don't do any free weights and they don't do any one-legged exercises or balance exercises. So, so balance is key for all of that. And there are so, there are so many good balance exercises to do. Um, and yoga is one of those things that's everything about balance and yoga, right? So, I mean, that's a great thing to do if you have a problems with balance and you can do it. Um, I always do yoga on vacation because I, I get a hoot out of how little I can do and how much my daughter, who's you know a lot younger than me, can do. Uh, and she always looks at me and smiles when the instructor says, reach down and touch your ankles. And I'm at my knees still. I'm trying to go further because I've been occupied. Standing in the OR still all day, my hamstrings are very tight. So <laughs> it's always a problem. But, um, but you know, flexibility and balance is extremely important. And, and people reduce injury. So balance is everything in sport and it's everything in, in daily life as well. Um, yeah, wet floor, wet surfaces, a carpet edge, kids' toys, uh, crack in the sidewalk. How many times have people hit the crack in the sidewalk fall? And how many times if they could hit the crack in the sidewalk and had good balance and not fall in, uh, that alone would save a lot of injuries. So yeah, yeah 100% right on that. Dr. Resnick, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Well, I think the first one is we go back to balance, right? If you can work on balance every day a little bit, even a small amount, I think it's going to go a long way for all your activities of daily living and sports too. 
Um, so I think that's that's very important. I think the second thing is really be aware of yourself, right? You know, so like as we talked about before, if you're using a knee brace every day in the gym for two years and the nagging ache doesn't go away, well, maybe you should get it checked. So, you know, have a little self-awareness. Um, check in with your body every once in a while, make sure that things feel right. And probably the last thing is nutrition, right? So, you know, the, avoid the situations where you decide to be super thin and you're eating a fad diet and then you rebound because you come off the fad diet, you go back to regular food and you're not, your diet's not that great in the first place. So, you know, if, if good nutrition, good balance and self-awareness are probably the three top things that I would think about uh, as a general health rule. There's so many other things we could talk about, you know, getting the checkup, making sure your cardiogram is okay, you know, like that you get good cholesterol. But but those feedback to the self-awareness and the diet and balance and 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 some you know exercise, you know, 20 minutes a day of walking. You know, they talk about 4,000 steps, they talk about 10,000 steps. But if you're not doing anything, something every day, even if it's 20 minutes of walking, it's good for brain health, it's good for your body, it's good for circulation, it's good for your heart. All those things are important. Dr. Resnick, if someone wanted to learn more about you or the book, the Knee and Shoulder Handbook, where would you like for me to send them? Um, so I have my own website, drresnick.com, which is D-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K. Um, it's a little tricky on the spelling, but it's there. Um, I'm also an orthopedic surgeon in Connecticut. So ct-ortho.com is the orthopedic group. Uh, very simple web addresses. Uh, the book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's available. You can get a direct link through my website. On my website, I have other things about other injuries, some other papers I've written about things that might be of interest to some people around medicine and some of the other things, projects I've been working on uh, that might be of interest to people who are interested in those things. But I also have a second book uh, called I've Fallen and I Can Get Up. We'll go back to the balance thing. So the second book is really about fall risks and how to prevent falls. So um, that also might be a, a value for some people as well. Okay, cool. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 615, and I'll be sure to have the links there. Dr. Resnick, thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Oh, thank you so much. This has been great. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. That was a really interesting discussion. You know, in the runner's world here, we talk a lot about knees and it's not because running ruins them. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's just a, a common injury. And so a book like this could be very helpful for, for some of us. Yeah, he he focuses a lot on pediatrics and sports mm -hmm. injuries. And so there's there's a lot of that in there. So if you're a parent with a kid that's playing sports and things like that, there's a lot of information. Of course, this being 40 plus fitness, I, I didn't want to go down that line. That's mm -hmm. That's not our thing. Uh, although you may be a parent. So again, some things in there that can help, particularly if your kids are suffering from some injuries from the sports sure. that they're playing. Uh, but he had part two and part three where he got into the knees and the shoulders. Um, and so that's where I wanted to go because I hear a lot of uh, I can't oh, <laughs> because yes. of you know this problem. I, I can't walk or run because of my knees. I can't mm -hmm. lift weights because of my shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's true to a point. Right. <laughs> okay. Yes. yes. You should probably yes. not be running if you're having some difficulties with your knees. Mm -hmm. But if you're having difficulties with your shoulders, you probably can run. Yes. Uh, if, <laughs> yes. If you're having problems with your shoulder, you probably shouldn't be doing many upper body lifts. Mm-hmm. 
but you yeah. still got those legs. Mm-hmm. So you can do some stuff. So it's the right. whole concept of, and if your knees hurting, you maybe you can't do a whole lot with running and walking or whatever, but, but mm-hmm. you can maybe get on a stationary bike and that wouldn't mm-hmm. put a lot of pressure on your knee. Uh, maybe you go and start working on other parts of your fitness. So you're working on your mobility and your balance and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Upper body strength. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know anybody who tells me I'm as strong in my upper body as I ever want to be. Uh, <laughs> most people say, you know, I struggle with push-ups. I struggle with this. I'm not so strong here. So, you know, these injuries or problems are not necessarily the right excuse to say, I, I can't. Well, again, you uh, first of all, you need a diagnosis, right? You need yeah. to go see your doctor or your PT or somebody but but like the like Dr. Resnick was talking about a patient who had what was it I think it was a hip fracture but he was so sure that it was presenting in his knee that it was a knee problem and you know as a trainer you and I both have seen people that have a knee problem but there's a kinetic chain issue there's there's something you know weak calves strong um quads and weak hamstrings or you know something else is going on that is presenting itself as a pain but but that's why you get a diagnosis and and that's why you get you know the proper uh, instruction on how to correct the issue. Yeah, I so. couldn't help but think, okay, and so this is going to go way back because we we used to play tackle football as kids mm-hmm. and we played on this playground, uh, you know, elementary playground that had tetherball poles. Okay. okay. So these mm-hmm. are just poles. They're spaced out about probably about 15 yards apart. Those were mm-hmm. our first down markers, you know, so okay. it was just really cool <laughs> to have all these tetherball poles along the sideline. Until it wasn't. And so this, our friend uh, was going out there and he was trying to make a tackle on a guy who was trying to make it past the pole. Mm-hmm. Um, he did, uh, but our friend Timmy did not. Um, so Timmy hit his face and his knee against the pole. Oh, geez. And so Timmy's laying on the ground, grasping his knee, yelling, my knee, oh. my knee. And we're looking at him, your face, your face. Oh, no. Uh, so pain is a weird thing. He needed nine mm-hmm. stitches to his face uh, oh. from that contact, not a single stitch to his knee. Um, mm-hmm. But so pain is a weird thing. And mm-hmm. and where we feel it and how we feel it is a unique experience. We've talked about pain a little bit on this uh, podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, you can't trust how you feel pain to to Mm -hmm. diagnose what's going on, particularly in complex areas of your body. Well, yeah, especially the knees, the shoulders, ankles, Mm -hmm. all of it. You you could be sitting there saying my ankles are killing me and it it could, it could literally be your knees that are Mm -hmm. out of line. You know, it could be Mm -hmm. your hips. It could, it could be anything. You're just, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I would not trust pain to self-diagnose. Oh yes. Issue. Have a conversation with a professional. I'm not that professional. You come to me and mm-hmm. say, my ankle hurts. I'm like, go see a PT. Yes. Or if you feel like it's more important than that or bigger than that, go see an orthopedic guy They're mm-hmm. gonna, or a foot guy. Because, you know, again, you can even specialize down. There are people who do knees. There are people who do shoulders. There are people who do feet, ankles. Mm-hmm. Find the right doctor to get the right diagnosis and then mm-hmm. do do what they need you to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, but this book was really good because, well, one, it, it had the big section on kids, but then the knee section and the the shoulder section um, were really, really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably not something that you would just want to sit down and read yeah. um, unless you have an interest in the joint, which is sure. once you hurt yourself, 
you yeah. start having an interest in a joint. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me just tell you. Uh, yeah. So if something happens and you know, okay, I've got this, this appointment with my orthopedic surgeon to talk about my shoulder, mm-hmm. then this is a good book to kind of pull out and say, okay, let's look at the shoulder joint. Oh, okay. So there's, this is how the joint works. This is the four muscles. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this is the the way that all this is set up. And these are common problems. Mm-hmm. And then when the doctor starts talking to you about, well, it looks like you have a tear. Let's do an x-ray. Mm-hmm. And then they come back later and say, okay, we're looking at your movement pattern and everything. We think it's a tear. We're going to send you to PT. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the right thing? Sure. Okay. And for most of us, we wouldn't know. So go to the PT. The PT mm-hmm. will know. He'll do the PT. And if you don't start getting better, he's like, no, it must be worse than we thought. You need to go in for an MRI and your mm-hmm. surgeon will will take you from there. Yeah. You go back to the surgeon. It's like, let's do an MRI. And you get the MRI and they're like, oh, yeah, it's tore. So we can't, mm-hmm. we need to repair that tear uh, before you're going to get the benefits. That's just, you know, yeah. that's how they work. Um, and you're not going to know that when you first start this, unless you have a That's lot right. of experience with anatomy. Um, if you do, then you may know, okay, no, this is not a little thing. This is a big thing. Like some people will see their bicep roll up in their arm when they tear a bicep. They'll see oh, the gosh. same thing with their pec. They'll see the same thing with their Achilles. It rolls up like, um, uh, what is the window thing? The window shades. Oh, it geez. will roll up like that. And you will know, <laughs> you will know right oh. that you did something oh. terrible to yourself. Um, but for the most part, if it's just a little pain or pain mm-hmm. within a certain range of movement, mm-hmm. uh, you may never notice it, or it may be just so little, you know, we, we talked about frozen shoulder and mm-hmm. it's, it's literally the, the, it, you know, it hurts a little on this end. So I just don't, don't do what hurts. And then a little bit on that end. And I just don't do what hurts and it gets tighter and tighter a range over time to a point where you realize, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even scratch the top of my head. Oh. Um, because I can't lift my arm, you know, oh, that uh, that's awful. when you're, yeah, that's when you're going to notice and you're going to go into the doctor and the doctor's like, well, this might heal itself or it might not. And th- true. <laughs> what they're saying is absolutely <laughs> true, but you can read a book like this and understand why they're saying what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's super and, helpful. And that's, that's where this all comes in. It's, it's really mm-hmm. hard to sit in front of a doctor and have them explain this stuff because they went to medical school and they can pronounce all these words <laughs> and all these medications and also because it's a it's a particular vernacular that they mm-hmm. learned in school of how this stuff does. Posterior means something, anterior means something, this means something, that means something. And so to them it's a language mm-hmm. and most of us don't speak that language. So mm-hmm. when they're talking it's yes, it's going to sound uh like a a a bastardized version of English where they're just throwing in a bunch of maybe Latin words or something. And it's not going to make a lot of sense, but if you've got a book like this and you kind of went through Mm -hmm. it and said, okay, I understand there's four muscles here. When he says that muscle name, I see it in my book. That's this front Mm -hmm. front one. And yes, I felt it. And that's why I can't do, you know, a lateral movement or a lift movement with my arm or a push mm-hmm. away, you know, you'll understand why you can't do or why it hurts to do the things you're doing. It'll mm-hmm. start to make sense. 
Yeah. I feel like if you've had an injury in your shoulder or your knee, mine, mine is an ankle injury, but I pay more attention to what I can and can't do. I pay attention to what my doctor tells me. I've been there with the cortisone shots. I've been there with the ACE, uh, bra- um, braces and whatnot. And, and, you know, right now I'm healthy, knock on wood, but you know, a book like this would be helpful if, if your injury was progressing or, or becoming, you know, like maybe you need a, you know, some sort of surgery or replacement or something like that. So it seems like a very interesting book. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree with him. You know, if you're, if you're taking one of these supplements uh, and you've been taking it for years because, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this is good for me. Uh, <laughs> just, just stop taking it for, you know, you just stop, just say, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. stop taking this and I'm just going to see how I feel. Mm-hmm. And by all means, if, the aches and pains start coming back, then get mm-hmm. back on it. Yeah, um, for it's, sure. It's working one way or another. I, yeah. I, I'm just, just going to say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's working one way or another. Yeah. Um, and and we'll have another conversation with a, a doctor in a, a couple of weeks that um, we'll get a little deeper into that topic. But um, oh, cool. Yeah. So so just recognize that you know these things that are out there to help you, they're 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 they should be temporary. There's there's mm-hmm. zero reason for you to need, need a knee brace for the rest of your life. Right, right. Yeah, okay. for sure. Uh, if the doctor or a physical therapist fitted you with it and said, okay, I'm going to need you to wear this for the rest of your life, then that's a little different. But if you mm-hmm. just went into the CVS and bought a brace and say, my knee feels a little better when I'm wearing this brace, mm-hmm. um, you're not solving the underlying problem. Yeah. And in well, fact, you might be making it worse mm-hmm. and not know it. So. You know, again, I'm not a huge fan of self-medication. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if something's working, it's working. But right. understand why it's working. Understand what you're doing. And if you don't know, um, I mean, yes, you can experiment on yourself. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, you might not be making yourself better. And right now you have the muscle around the joint to support it and do what you're doing 20 years from now. You may not. Yeah. Well, I, I always default. I'm not a doctor, so I rely on doctors and smart people like PTs yeah. <laughs> to get me back in shape. <laughs> I, I, I swear by PTs, you know, mm-hmm. they, they've done the work. They understand. But you, again, you have to advocate for your own care. So when you mm-hmm. go in, if they say, you know, I'm like, my, doc, my shoulder hurts. And he says, well, no, it's your it's your ankle. Uh, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Wait a okay. minute. Now, now we have, we've got to have a conversation because that that's not what I expected. Same thing with mm-hmm. the guy who came in and, and thought, okay, my hip problem, you know, they're saying it's a hip problem. I know it's my knee. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you have to open your brain and mm-hmm. say, okay, explain to me, like I'm a third grader, why <laughs> you think this is my hip. Mm-hmm. And then be open to listen. Yeah, for sure. You know, because th- there is... There is some math there. It's a kinetic chain. There is some reason why that might happen. Um, mm-hmm. And you just have to be open to it, not obliviously open, like, oh, the doctor said this, therefore that. Right. Um, yeah. It's uh, okay. Doctor just told me that he's going to have to do a complete knee reconstruction. Mm. I'm like, why? And he's Maybe. like, well, you know, there's damage there. I'm like, I can still walk. I can still do things. You know, we Mm -hmm. won the kickball tournament this weekend. Uh, You know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. 
I, you know, why would you need to, to do that? And sometimes, you know, we just need an answer or we need to make our own decision, get a second opinion. Second opinion. Yeah, yeah for that sure. Type of thing. So again, <laughs> these are very complex joints and mm-hmm. that's why I really wanted to get into it because it does hold people back from improving their fitness because mm-hmm. it, it, it gives them a constraint Yeah, and constraints make it easier to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to get past the constraint, you need to understand the constraint and get past it with mm-hmm. the help potentially of a PT and an sure. orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see more people out there walking and running. It'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. It's good for your knees. <laughs> it, it can be mm-hmm. <laughs> with good form. Running has a form just like mm-hmm. every other exercise. So mm-hmm. these things can be great for you, but again, you have mm-hmm. to know your body. You have to know the form. You have to perform. Mm-hmm. So when you yeah. get fatigued, a lot of people lose form. So it's just, you know, know your limits, mm-hmm. push yourself out of your comfort zone, and then you'll reap the benefit. Yep. Sounds awesome. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Take care, Alan. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Ellen Langer and discuss her book, The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.